Hi, and welcome to Job Search the Smart Way, a podcast for graduate students and PhDs. If you're wondering what you can do with your degree, you're in the right place. You'll learn top tips and strategies you can apply to build an impactful career and meaningful life. Your host, Dr. Marin Wood, will share evidence-based research so that you can job search the smart way. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. I'm Dr. Marin Wood. Thanks so much for joining me. It's been a very busy couple of weeks here at Beyond the Professoriate. We host our annual online career conference the first two weekends of May. Every year, we've done it for eight years. And so that's what we've been up to the last couple of weeks. That's actually how Beyond Prof got started. Uh, It started eight years ago when I was in the process of leaving academia myself and I was lost. And I wanted to connect people like me to PhDs who had successfully made the career transition so that we could connect these two groups, these two spaces. And that I had the idea that PhDs who'd gone through the career transition could provide unique and critical career advice to PhDs who were struggling to leave academia. And that's the essence of Beyond Prof. And so it was really gratifying to be able to do it again. And this year we had a number of our panelists who participated actually came to Beyond Prof programming while they were doing their their career search and career transition. And so it was really exciting to hear from these former Beyond Profers about how they had moved through the, the stages of career transition to successfully land new jobs and start building new and meaningful careers and just to hear how happy they are in their new lives. So I just to want to I want to take a minute on the podcast just to thank my team for their hard work in in helping get the conference off the ground and running, a lot of work behind the scenes and for their fantastic presentations. And of course to the panelists for coming to share career advice by PhDs for PhDs and to the attendees for trusting us to help them with their own career transition. So if you've been listening to the podcast or coming to Beyond Prof courses and programming this past year, you'll have heard about the four stages of PhD career transition. And you're going to hear me talk a lot about these four stages in the the podcast too. The other day, I was doing a virtual workshop for a graduate school, and one of the PhDs who was in attendance pushed back at the end of my presentation about the four stages. He said, essentially, these stages seem like a lot. You know, there's just, they're kind of overwhelming. There's a lot we have to do. Can't we just, you know, go get jobs? Like people don't actually do this. They just go out and get jobs. They don't have to go through these stages. And what was interesting was the director of the professional development programming at this organization. She herself holds a PhD. She actually shared her own experience with the group. And she said, you know, as I went through the videos and workbook, I realized that I had gone through these stages. I just didn't know that I was doing these stages. I just didn't realize that that was the process that I was moving through. And it was interesting to hear her say, because of course, we actually interviewed hundreds of PhDs to identify the process academics take in order to move through the career transition and land meaningful non-academic careers. And in that process of doing our research, you know, we've interviewed 
people with PhDs in the humanities, social sciences, and STEM. We interviewed people who left ABD and people who had left after successfully landing tenure-track positions or even securing tenure. We've spoken to PhDs at every stage of the academic life cycle. We've spoken to people with children, people without children, people who stayed where they were living, people who moved to new cities or, or new continents, people who were in rural areas or big cities. And, and we've done surveys of PhDs too. And because we're trained scholars, then the, the Beyond Prof team analyzed the data that we had collected, all of these hundreds of interviews, and we realized that PhDs are moving through the same four stages. They just didn't realize that there were stages, and that often led to frustration and failure early on in their job search process. That's one of the things that we've really identified in our research. Sometimes, like the other day, when we share the four stages of career transition, we get this kind of pushback. PhDs often, they want to go faster, or they want there to be a shorter way to get a job. And usually it's because they're in a difficult financial situation, like they need a job, they need to get out, they need a job now. And they're discouraged when they learn that it might take six or more months to find a job. And in fact, that came up again as part of the conference when people asked how long it was taking PhDs to land jobs, you know, it was six, nine, 12 months. It doesn't mean that people weren't working. It just means that it takes a long time because you do actually, you can't just go out and get a job. It actually takes time, regardless of where you're at in your academic career. When you begin to look for a non-academic position, it's just going to take a long time because you do actually have to go through these stages. Sometimes People who are leaving after several years of work as faculty, whether it's contingent or on the tenure track, they assume that our four stages must only apply to graduate students and that therefore beyond perhaps resources and programming can only apply to graduate students. But again, we've done the research and we know that the process is the same for every PhD. At the end of the episode, I can talk a little bit about strategies for how you might think about paying your bills while you're job searching. But no matter where you're at in your career, your academic career, whether you're a graduate student through full professor, the process for leaving academia and finding a new career is going to be the same. And that's because our programming and our research is, is, is based on research. And we've developed our curriculum and programming around that research uh, because it does help PhDs at every stage of their academic career. What was interesting about the 8th Annual Online Career Conference is I was, you know, when people have been asking these questions of like, well, doesn't the conference or your programming only, or these stages only apply to graduate students? What's interesting is that many of the panelists who participated and had been part of the Beyond Prof community and programming left academia after years working as teaching faculty. So not only have we developed this this programming and and our curriculum around the research, we actually know it works, and we know it works for PhDs at all stages of the academic of their academic career because we've seen PhDs use the process successfully when they've exited exited academia. So let's talk about the four stages and how they can help you, regardless of where you're at in your academic career, and that if you choose to move through these stages with purpose and strategy, you can make a successful career transition. So as as I've talked about before, the first stage is the discovery stage. This is when you'll identify your optimal career pathway. And the optimal career pathway is not the thing you'll do for the rest of your life. It's a metric you can use to measure opportunities. 
At this stage, you need to identify what energizes you about your, the work you're doing now in academia, what skills you've developed while becoming an expert in your field or teaching or research or being the department chair, and then figure out of what the world will actually pay you money to do. So of what you love and of what you do, what will the world actually pay you money to continue to do? A career transition will really come down to your skills. Again, at our conference, we had PhDs who worked in fields that had nothing to do with their subject matter expertise, and that is so common. Renee-Anne, who has her PhD in Italian literature and, her, and had spent almost a decade teaching in academia, now works as a team coach in a software company. Michelle has a PhD in Spanish literature and now works in UX research. Mark is a PhD in psychology who now works in marketing and communications. They're all leveraging their skills and their work in and they're working in careers and industries that align with their personal values. And actually, all of these three PhDs that I've just mentioned left after years of working as faculty. And they worked with us at Beyond Prof during their career transition too. So the reason why every PhD needs to focus at the discovery stage on identifying their skills and their values is that non-academic employers will care about what you do. They don't care about your subject matter expertise, right? For most of us, there's no direct pathways into industry for the knowledge that we've developed in academia, and that's fine. What employers want to know is how you've applied your skills with success to solve similar problems in other organizations, similar to the problems you'll be solving if they're going to hire you into the position you're applying to. Now, the optimal career pathway is a metric by which you can identify careers that align with your values and your skills. And so skills are important, but so too are values because you want to be working in a career where you'll thrive and you'll be wanting to work with people who share your values. So last weekend in the, during the conference, Renee Ann mentioned that during an informational interview with a project manager, he told her, uh, he told her something about agile and scrum. And she was like, what on earth is agile and scrum? I've never heard of them before. So she started doing a bunch of research and she decided to go to a meetup for agile coaches. And it was there that she learned about her current career field. She'd never heard of it before. She was talking with people about what they did as team coaches, and she realized that helping people work well together was something she valued. And when she learned more about the skills that were required in that job, she realized she had those skills. And that's how she found a career where she's thriving. So no matter who you are, if you're ABD or a faculty member considering a career transition, you can't have that aha moment unless you are clear on your optimal career pathway. Unless you know what you value and unless you know what your skills are, you can't identify these potential career pathways as alignments for you because you haven't done the work of really getting to know yourself again, really getting to know what it is you value and what your key skills are. Now, Renee Ann's story kind of overlaps between the discovery and the research stage. At the research stage, this is when you want to research possible careers of interest. Now, Renee Ann had originally thought she'd move into UX research, but during the research stage of her career transition, she realized that there were fewer US jo- UX jobs in the city she wanted to live in, and so she decided she needed to pivot. She wanted to live in that city. She knew, because she had gone through the discovery stage, that she could be happy doing many different kinds of things. So she wasn't locked into UX research. She was able to make a pivot when she was conducting research and to and identified a career pathway with lots of, of opportunities in the city she wanted to live in. 
And then she did research, right? She did informational interviews that led her to project management. And then she did more networking to learn about being a team coach, which is the job, which is a job she never heard of before she's conducted this research. And at the end of the research stage, you have to pick a career field that to focus your job search. And that's, of course, what she did in her in this situation. She decided to focus on landing a job as a team coach. Uh, and she chose that because there was opportunities in the city where she wanted to live. So this is often a big misconception that academics have. In academia, you have to do a global search. But in a non-academic job search, because networking is so important and companies tend to hire locally, you need to focus your job search on one city or one location. Now, here's where I'll get pushback from people who live in small towns. They'll say they can't be focused because there are fewer jobs. I can't focus just on one career path because I'm in a small rural place and there are not a lot of opportunities, so I have to just be open to taking anything. But the problem is you cannot be all the things to all the people. There is still a lot of professional knowledge that you need to develop and gain in order to move into professional career fields. So again, you have to focus like Renee Ann did. She became a team coach. She did certifications. She did some job shadowing and she did networking. And even if you're living in a small town or small community, the process has to be the same because you cannot brand yourself as the person who can do all the jobs because no one will believe you. You have to choose a career path so you can rebrand yourself. You can uh, adopt the language of industry so you can do certifications if you need to, so you can learn the professional knowledge that you need in order to be successful in that career field. So if you're living in a small town, it means that your research stage will be just as important, if not more so, because you'll have to be very clear on the major industries and employers in your small community and identify the skills and employers value in those industries and identify which ones you have. Let's take Ted for an, ex- for an example. Ted has a PhD in geography and moved to a small town in Montana. It happens. People really love places like Montana, right? Wherever it is you're going, it's totally legit. People love small rural communities. So initially, Ted started working temp jobs because there were not a lot of uh, other opportunities in the town that he wanted to live in while he was doing his job search. So he worked for a temp agency to pay his bills. And again, I've talked about this before on the podcast. You have to separate your career from the thing you're doing to pay and feed yourself. So if you have to take work at a temp agency, if you have to take contract work, if you're going to adjunct, I I mean, I'd prefer if you didn't adjunct, but sometimes you got to do what you got to do. If you need to be a personal shopper at Whole Foods, like whatever it is you need to do uh, to feed yourself, you need to do that. Um, We actually talked to one of our panelists this past weekend who talked about the fact he worked uh, at a bike shop selling bicycles while he was in his career transition. There's no shame in hard work, but that's not what he's doing. That's what he did to help pay his bills. And then he now has a great job in marketing. So again, you just need to focus on paying your bills and feeding yourself while you continue to look for a job that uses your education and your skills. So Ted eventually learned that there were a lot of opportunities in that town for people who did project and program management. So that's what he focused his job search on, and he ended up working at a national nonprofit that had a local office in the small town where he was living. So again, no matter where you live, no matter where you're moving to, no matter what stage in your academic career you are at when you leave, you have to be clear on your values and you have to be clear on your skills. Networking is going to be a critical part of your career transition. So you'll need a compelling transition story. Uh, And we have 
a course that helps people um, write their career transition story. But the essence of a career transition story will be a positive story of career change that highlights your values that you have had in your past job and that connects to a future career opportunity. And the, the career transition story will highlight a couple of your most marketable skills. That story, like all personal stories, will sound different. And yes, a tenured faculty member who is leaving may need a different story than a graduate student, but the components will be the same. What I loved about my time in academia was was X, which is why I'm I'm interested in a career in Y. I'm leaving academia because I want to find a way to do more of X. Or I'm leaving my current position because I want to move to Seattle. Or I'm leaving my current position because I want to be closer to family. Or whatever. It doesn't matter the why. It just means you need to maybe stick that in your story, but it doesn't really matter. So long as it's positive, so long as it resonates with people, people move outside of academia. That's a, those are normal choices. People move because they want to move to a different city or they move because they want to be closer to family. You just need to choose something and stick with that as, as a component of your story. Now, in some ways, a tenured faculty member will have different experiences than a graduate student. Probably more leadership experience, maybe more experience supervising graduate students or postdocs in a lab. Maybe you've done more organizations of conferences or events, and you'll probably have more admin experience than a recent PhD. So you you might have more skills that you can put on your resume or that you can leverage into a non-academic career than a graduate student who doesn't have those experiences. But there's also going to be a lot of overlap. Uh, between the skills that a graduate student has and the skills that a senior scholar has, because that's the point of graduate school, right? The point of graduate school is to teach PhDs the core skills to be scholars in their fields. So it shouldn't surprise us that a more experienced scholar will have some of the same essential skills as a junior scholar when they're beginning to do their career transition. All right, so then we want to move into the implementation phase. This is where you're laser-focused on landing a job in one career field. And no matter who you are, you have to network, 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 network. That's how you're going to find a job. Everyone needs to find people who believe in them and will give them an opportunity. And the more nuanced your story, the more important networking will be. If you're a parent, you'll want to make sure that the companies you're applying to are family-friendly. If you are uh, from an underrepresented group, a minority group, you want to make sure that the companies you're applying to support minority candidates and employees and are serious about diversity and equality. If you've been out of the workforce or are moving to a new city or whatever, you will need people to advocate for you. Employers like to hire people who are referred to them by a trusted source. Hiring is expensive, and so people reach out to those they know for referrals and recommendations. That's why you got to network. And this is especially true for people who are in career transitions, and even more true for people who may be doing this at a later stage in their career. That network will be key. You will need mentors and advocates and support and a community. And then last, there's the builder stage. I talked about the stage in the last episode of the podcast, but this is when you reflect on your career choices and decide if you want to make another move. And lots of PhDs we work with at Beyond Prof do make a second or even a third career move, but they'll do it when they have experience and they know the stages. So they're better equipped to make a pivot once they've left academia and have a couple of years of industry experience. So no matter who you are, no matter what point you're at in your academic career, You need to move through these four stages with purpose and strategy. And the reason why the stages work and the reason why our programming works 
is because we've designed it through hundreds of hours of research. And we know how PhDs make career transitions, and we know how to help you make your career transition. We appreciate you joining us for this episode of Job Search the Smart Way, a podcast for graduate students and PhDs. For more resources to help you launch your next great career, be sure to visit beyondprof.com and sign up for our free events. And remember, smart people work everywhere.